The Money Show. Personal Finance. Uh, my official French is a personal finance journalist. She's at Maya on Money, and she's on The Money Show this evening. And as interest rates are going up, not only locally, but around the world, the price of money is becoming increasingly expensive. We're seeing stock markets become jittery and wobbly. We're seeing lots of reports about recessions looming in the United States, which is still... Uh, the world's biggest economy, and that would have negative consequences for the rest of the world. It would lead to a drop in consumption of natural resources and all sorts of things that we produce um, and could see things becoming just a little bit more complicated in the world of investment. So is it time to start considering something like a bit of fixed income, the retail savings bonds, the RSA retail savings bond in particular? Maya Fisher-French, just bring us up to speed, please, on the status of the RSA retail bond yes bruce you know i often forget about this one when people say to me you know where can i get the best interest rate and it actually does offer one of the best interest rates in the market um this is issued it's it's a government bond or exactly as it is it's an rsa government retail bond issued by national treasury um for people who want to invest either for two years three years or five years and just to give you an idea i mean currently you can get about seven percent for a two-year fixed deposit seven and point seven five percent i think for three years and up to 9.25 for, for five years. So these are offering pretty attractive um, interest rates. And the reason that it is so much higher than perhaps what you're looking at your bank is because it's actually not priced off the repo rate. It doesn't, it's not, one also has to know, realize that it's not going to move in line of the repo rate. It's actually priced off the government bond yield curve. Um, and uh, Bruce, when I was, I, uh, the other time that I was really looking at the RSA retail bond was um, at the beginning of lockdown when you'll remember the government bonds blew out. And at one yes. point, you could have got you could have locked in five years at thirteen percent, which would have been an awesome interest rate to have got at that time. So um, it is it is almost a little bit of a different instrument as well to your normal fixed deposit with the bank. What um, you're doing I is the what, what I wanted to sorry, mention it today. Sorry, sorry, sorry Maya. Just so that we get the context right, what you're doing is you're lending government money. Government's got many many ways of borrowing money and they could either go and borrow it on international markets or they could borrow it from citizens and pay citizens a return on that money. Um, the only downside is you do have to fix it for either that two, three or five year period and the longer you trust government with your money, the higher the interest rate you will get over that time. So that's the 9.25 over five years versus a more modest 7.75% over two years, for example. Absolutely. And we'll see that with any, it's also not only that, um, you'll see it with any fixed deposit. If you go to a bank and you, the longer you prepare to, to lock your money away for, the, the more reward you're going to get for it. So time is money. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's very similar from that perspective that, uh, that obviously it would be linked to, linked to time. Um, but I think, I think, Bruce, the thing that's really interesting for me with the RSA retail bond at the moment, the reason I highlighted it for today, is that until now, your minimum contribution was a thousand rand and you couldn't add to it. So if you wanted to put a thousand rand away and then maybe in a couple of months time, you want to do another thousand rand, you had to keep opening a new investment each time, which was a bit clunky. You know, it was, it was really for a, 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 a lump sum amount that you were just going to leave. It wasn't really user friendly if you wanted to top up. And that's exactly what they've done from the 1st of April is that you can now actually top up. So your minimum investment now is 500 Rand and you can top up whenever you want with a minimum of 100 Rand. 
And, you know, go back to those interest rates. I mean, even if you're doing it for a two-year fixed deposit at 7%, that's a pretty good rate for um, an investment of only 500 Rand uh, that you're topping up with 100 Rand a month. So, again, you know, for, especially for smaller investors who are just trying to get that little bit of extra extra interest rate, um, that, that really is an attractive option. So how does the fixed term work, Maya? I, I open up the, the retail savings bond account today and I put my 500 Rand in. And then I put a direct debit on for 100 Rand each month for the next two years. Can I cash in the investment at the end of a two-year period? Um, is that the way? Would it still be a fixed term of that two years? Or does the term sort of renew every time I add a bit of cash? No, it would be for your two-year period. So you would have it fixed for those for those two years. Um, and then what's also quite attractive for it, another option as well, Bruce, is um, the restart option which again is a very attractive, um, <laughs> this is basically if interest rates start rising. Now, keep in mind that, you know, this is this doesn't follow the repo rate. So you'll go and you'll say, oh, obviously the, the, the interest rate on my RSA retail bond's gone up because the repo rate's gone up. Not necessarily. You need to be watching the bond curves. But um, if, for example, you've been invested for a year, maybe you were, you'd locked your money away for five years at 9.25. And a year later, the the, the uh, yield curve um, increases, you're, you're able to get maybe 9.5%, you can actually restart the investment again um, and you'll be able to to lock into that that higher interest rate. So, you know, there's some some nice mechanisms there, I think, for, for many people and Bruce, you know, pensioners really as well. This is a very, very attractive one for a pensioner or somebody who's, re- who's looking to rely on the income. So for anybody who then restarts the, the savings device, um, I've been going for 18 months and interest rates during that 18 months have gone um, up substantially, 300 basis points. We weren't expecting them to go up so much and suddenly I can get 10% on the retail savings bond rather than 9.25. I restart after 18 months and I say, no, no, I want the 10%, please. And I restart, which means I'm tied in for another two years from that 18-month mark um, at, at the higher interest rate. And in, interest rates then fall off a cliff. It doesn't matter because I've locked in a 10% return for those two years, correct? Yes, absolutely. That that um, it allows you to take advantage of that. And I think people feel very sensitive about this at the moment when they know that interest rates are rising. That, you know, it is nice to know that you could, um, if rates go up, uh, lock it in. But the best part is, Bruce, if rates go down, you don't lose your, your interest, you know, your, your interest rate is fixed. So it's kind of a little bit of a win-win, really. Well, it's absolutely brilliant and it's massively innovative, frankly. One, uh, I love to be surprised and I've been very, very pleasantly surprised. What then is the difference between the retail savings bond? And I love the fact that you can do a top-up option and I love the fact that you can do the restart option. But the RSA inflation-linked bond, is that different? Yes, and this is again an, a very interesting, attractive one. Uh, we see a lot of pensioners using this. So this is an interest rate that is linked to inflation, as opposed to um, to you know just to to the bond uh, to the bond market. So you are able to earn between uh, again depending on how long you fix it, but you're able to um, earn an, an interest rate of three and a half percent above 
the CPI or whatever the, whatever the inflation rate is, you earn that above that for three years. Then for you can even lock in for 10 years, which will give you 4.5% at the moment based on the current yield curve, 4.5% above inflation. So if it, inflation, for example, is 5%, um, you will get 4.5% over and above that. So you will get 9.5%. Sure. So that means that you are basically guaranteed a real return after inflation. So if suddenly we see inflation shooting out, which we are seeing, um, maybe not in South Africa yet quite to the extent that we're seeing in certain other parts of the world, you will know that you will still be getting what we call a real return of four and a half percent. Okay, good on that particular front. Um, This is money that you need to know that you don't need in the next two years. If you want the capital, if you've got a hundred thousand rand and you kind of get yourself into a spot of bother and you go, geez, it would be nice to get that 100,000 rand back. You can't take it out early, or can you? You are not really. I mean, it is a, a fixed. Um, it is a fixed investment, but you can break it. There may be a penalty will apply, but you know it's not obviously ideal. This should be money that you are not going to be touching for a period of time. So, like any fixed deposit, um, you can always break it, uh, but there could be a penalty. You may not get the full um, interest payable at that stage. Now, let's assume you're lucky enough to not need the hundred thousand rand, and you know you're not going to need it for the next five years. So you decide to fix in a nine point two five percent interest rate at the current levels. At uh, when does the interest get paid on these things, Maya? Because if we got paid daily, um, then we are compounding our returns on our interest over time. Uh, I'm assuming we only get paid sort of a fixed amount of interest once or twice a year. And yes, it compounds every year, which is nice, but you're not getting the sort of daily incremental increases. Yes, that is true. So they do. I think it's twice a year that the that the interest is is, um, is paid. But you also have the option. Um, or actually, I think it must be monthly. Sorry, Bruce. That's actually a good question. I, I'm, I'm a, I stand to be corrected okay. because they also changed the the rules on the first of April, where um, previously you only if you were over the age of sixty could you actually receive the income on a monthly basis. Um, they and so that was certainly for for people over the age of sixty, they would be receiving interest on a monthly basis. So it is paid monthly. Um, but since the 1st of April, anybody can also receive the interest on a monthly basis. So, again, one can use this as um, as an income that is paid to you um, if, if you need to, to live off the income. Uh, you know, if, if you have a large amount of money and you want to invest it and receive a monthly income, it's no longer restricted only to somebody who's over 60. So, yes, the interest rate is actually um, paid out um uh, to every monthly, <laughs> you know what I would, you know what I would like to see with these things. My, I would love to see a tax-free savings account that is an RSA retail bond, so you can get your nine percent a year over five years, get it tax-free. Now that would be a win, um, but I guess that's too much to hope for. Well, I tell you, I have been nagging National Treasury. First of all, I nag. Well, first of all, National Treasury did come up with top up initially, and then they they removed that, which was you know I, I complained about that at the time. And I've been nagging them for this to be a tax free savings account, and it actually does. I have to be perfectly honest. I hope someone from National Treasury is listening because it boggles my mind that National Treasury is the people who invented the tax free savings account, right? Yes, <laughs> and they have not done it with their own products. So um, let's hope we do see that because, of course, Bruce, this does earn interest. Um, and if you put in it, you know, over time, if you have a significant amount um, of interest that you're earning more than 23800 I think it is if you're under 65, you're going to start paying tax on it. So if you're wanting to use this, or especially pensioners who are wanting to use this, it would be very, very nice if they could have provided this um, as, as a tax-free savings account.
And there may be a way to incentivize it to say, you know, look, if you can, if you are under 60 or under 65, then you don't get a tax free benefit if you cash it in before you're 60. But if they want to get some long term capital um, and uh, and tie us in with government, say, well, if you only exercise this after your, of your 60th or 65th birthday or after 10 years or whatever the case is, then it's a tax free return because you've you've trusted the fact that the state will pay its debts. Um, but, yeah, I've just worked out why Dondo Mohajani is not going to renew his contract. He's tired of being shouted at at you by by uh, by you, Maya. Um, and uh, and I, th- I think that's probably why it's left. Now, somebody sent us a question, and I, I'm curious as to the answer. I have just bought a house with a home loan, and I've received invoices of similar amounts from two different attorneys. Is this correct, or have they made a mistake? Oh, Bruce, this is a prom- this actually is, is not an uncommon question uh, because people don't realize the multitude of costs that are involved in buying a home. Um, so this is exactly what happens. You actually have two attorneys. So the one attorney is for the transfer of the title deed from the seller to the buyer. And the buyer always pays all these fees. So the buyer uh, will have to pay the attorney to transfer the, the title deed into their name. But then if you have so this a mortgage, is this is on you, top. This is on top of the thing called transfer duty. Transfer duty is a tax um, and transfer duty is a tax that is paid by the buyer as well um, to government. And then the, the, the lawyer that does the transfer charges a fee to do that process and to determine the cost which gets paid over to government that is the one fee right that's correct and you but you only pay you pay transfer duty on a million or more if a property is worth yes. a million or more then you pay transfer duty which is exactly that a tax so you pay the tax to the tax man then you pay an attorney to put it into your name a very large amount of money um you know we're talking 30 40,000 rand and then you have or more because it actually is determined by the value of the house so it can a lot more than that. And then if you have a mortgage, you have to pay another attorney to um, to to do the bond registration for you um, to put to put basically put the mortgage over the over the over the title deed. Um, so there are two sets of attorneys and you pay for both of them. So, yes, when you get that invoice and um, you get them from two different attorneys and they look like similar amounts. No, nobody has made a mistake. This is the true cost of buying your home. And Bruce, if there is a campaign that we need to start, it is around these costs because it creates a massive hurdle for people who are trying to enter the property market. Um, you know, at least I suppose you can say, well, transfer duty and it kicks in at a million, but you try buy a property for less than a no. million nowadays. Um, I think that is the average uh, price of of, of, um, of property now. So, you know, it's very difficult to be buying anything for, for less than that. Um, you're paying your transfer duty and then you're paying two sets of attorneys. I mean, surely we can come up with a solution for this blockchain or something that, 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 you know, it doesn't require all these costs just to put a, uh, you don't have to pay this to, to put a car in your name. You know what I mean? So I just think for me, Bruce, this is something we, we uh, I think as a consumer journalist, we need to sort of stop banging away along. And I, and I get that transferring property is an administratively heavy process. I mean, anybody, and I haven't done it for an awfully long time, and I, I really am in no hurry to do it again anytime soon, because just the 
blimmin' admin and you're sitting and you're signing documents which you, even if you did have time to read, they're written in a special form of long extinct hieroglyphics called legalese, um, which human beings don't understand. You spend five or seven years at university learning this nonsense. Um, and so you end up signing these documents and you're not quite sure what you've signed. And then you just, you, 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 you sign and hope. Um, that you've done everything correctly and that you, nobody's ripping you off in the process. But there, it, it, yeah, and I'm sure it's more efficient today in terms of, I'm, I'm sure you present it with an iPad now rather than, you know, three trees worth of paper, for example, because, and, and that surely should then also reduce the cost over time too. And, you know, why two sets of attorneys? Why can one not do it? And, oh my goodness me, you've got entire law firms built up on this conveyancing enterprise and they've got pretty and nice big buildings, uh, Maya, in their, you know, with their logos on top. So clearly it's very lucrative. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I do have sympathy to some degree with, with the with conveyances because apparently dealing with the title deeds offices is, is uh, you know, <laughs> is a hellhole in the first place. But we really, I mean, we are sitting in 2022. We have technology that can do unbelievable things. And yet we go through this whole rigmarole um, when it comes to property. I just think, yeah, it's, 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 it's certainly a sector that's waiting for disruption. That's for sure. Uh, and I imagine if you could remove those costs. You know, well, it, it I mean, you're not going to re- you're not going to remove them, but certainly I think they can be reduced. And I just I, again, you know, technology moves at a faster pace than policymakers, and policymakers will wake up to this at some point. But it is going to take some activism, um, and the lawyers certainly aren't going to do it because they're sitting pretty, they're loving this particular process. Not that we resent your income, lawyers. We think you're wonderful people, all of you. Um, <laughs> a phrase of the week, and it's not one I I I know offhand. What is vishing? So, you know, Bruce, you know what fishing is, not not the I type do. that you enjoy doing with your, you know, when you're sitting with your your, your waders on and catching some uh, <laughs> some trout. Um, but fishing with the PH is, and I think people are f- getting familiar with this. This is when you get an email that says, click on this link um, and you click on it and it takes you to a fake website. Usually it's it's often a SARS. It's, it, they pretend to be from SARS. That's the latest one. Um, and it says you are due a refund. Click here so we can verify your banking details. That is phishing. That's, those are criminal syndicates using emails to try and get your personal information. Vishing is when they use voice. In other words, they actually pick up the phone to you. And this is becoming more and more prevalent. And it's, it's because they're becoming really smart at this. So what they'll do is they'll pretend to be from your bank. And they will say there is a uh, 10,000 rand unauthorized debit order that's about to go through your bank account. We need to, to resolve it quickly. So they create that fear feeling in you and you're thinking you're panicking and they ask you for certain information in order to verify or reverse the transaction. Um, they may even go as far as, as they have already hacked a certain amount of your information and they want your one-time PIN. They'll say a one-time PIN is coming your way. Give it to us so that we can reverse this transaction. And people are falling for this. Obviously, they're fearful, they're nervous. Um, one of the other ones that have been quite common for a while now is um, pretending to be either from Visa or MasterCard and saying that an, um, a fraudulent transaction has gone through on your credit card. That's quite easy to know that that's fraudulent because Visa or MasterCard would never phone you. It's your bank who would contact you in the case of a fraud. Visa or MasterCard don't even know who you are. They are purely the back end for the banks. So that's, that one's easier, much easier to identify. Um, and really the best advice, Bruce, I 
can give. I have been phoned by my bank to verify a transaction. It is not something that banks don't do. They do phone to verify transactions. But the best thing you can do is to say, thank you very much. I will call you back. And you go and get the telephone number of the fraud division of your bank and you phone them and you at least know that it is your bank that you're dealing with. Um, but this is this is um, vishing. And as you know, criminal syndicates are spend a huge amount of time, Bruce, trying to figure out how to take our money from our bank accounts. No, look, they and they're very good at it. Um, they they have very high success rates, and they do all sorts of weird and wonderful things. And as somebody who's had the Instagram account hacked twice in the last six months, I'm suddenly a lot more aware of doing stupid things. Thank you, Maya Fisher French. Lovely to have you on. Um, enjoy the rest of your evening. Maya is a personal finance journalist. She writes for multiple uh, publications. She broadcasts on multiple media, and she has her own website. That website is called Maya on. Money. Check it out.